Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of The Last King Podcast, our special miniseries, Netflix is Dead, Part 2, Disney Plus and Minus. Coming right back, Mr. Dustin Lau. Say hi, Dustin. Hello. <laughs> so... As of now, uh, Disney Plus still unavailable in Singapore, so uh, major disclaimer, Last King fans, uh, a lot of the things we're going to be discussing and talking about has uh, been more or less a secondhand smoke. It's all just what we found online, so none of this is through personal experience. So yeah, you know, huge grain of salt there, but you know, that doesn't mean we can't discuss it anyway. So uh, Disney Plus has finally arrived in the States, parentheses, and uh, UK, and where else? Uh, Netherlands, right? Netherlands, yeah. Netherlands. So only these three so-called regions uh, are receiving some of this uh, Disney Plus uh, loveliness. And apparently, uh, there have been a lot of complaints. <laughs> so, uh, going back to uh, Dustin's original point in uh, episode one of this uh, special miniseries. Uh, uh, quotes. It's not easy to build a platform, huh? No, not easy at all. And that's the thing, right? When you use a platform, when you register, you log in... You get your credentials from the email, you get confirmation, you punch in your credit card details, and then you're away and running. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even for the logins, Disney Plus had some issues where they launched, went live, they had a race condition where everyone was rushing to sign up. Mm, yeah. People that signed up couldn't log in, had authentication problems. So all of these are part of building a platform, part of onboarding users onto the platform. And I think that one of the things that they could have done to handle it better was to have more people going in in smaller batches, maybe like one month ahead. You don't even have to see the real site, right? Yep. You can just get promotions and then the person's like, oh, I'm an insider. Look at what I've got. And you have these people building your brand and advertising for you in a sense. I mean, basically like what we can call like the Disney VIP package. But I think they did something like that because if I'm not mistaken, there were pre-orders for the service at a very heavy discount, right? Yeah. Uh, this was reported in a Variety magazine slash web online. I think they were one of the earliest to cover the birthing problems of Disney+. Plus, and there was a mild apology where they're explanation was basically oh yeah you know the streaming service of this magnitude does have multiple moving parts and many of them can become a choke point i can't imagine disney plus being like almighty moses opening the floodgates but uh frankly i don't know do you think that this is also in part to overconfidence we didn't expect such an overwhelming response but like you'd had the numbers more or less right I think that Disney probably was able to estimate to a fairly good degree the response that they would get. And I think that it's not so much the numbers as it is the moving parts that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, when people use an application like this, some of them use it on the laptop, some of them sign up on a mobile phone, Mm. some of them do it directly on a smart TV. Now, logging in is a very, very different exercise on all, all of these. Can you imagine like logging in on a sec- with a secure, long password on a TV remote? That's one of the worst interfaces. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yes. As an owner of a smart TV myself, yes, I hate logging into Amazon Prime Video on that. <laughs> so, I think that, you know, YouTube has actually one of the best interfaces for doing that where they have a different interface for logging onto YouTube. You go to YouTube Activate, then it you know gives you a, a simple code that you a- enter in. There's a lot of work, actually. Even Netflix doesn't do this that well, which is how do you log in on your Netflix account on a TV? They still rely on you 
typing your password. But imagine if you do that in front of everyone, then everyone has your password. So I'm like, how come my screens are always running out when, <laughs> after I logged in at this party, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you always have that one friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I Netflix all by myself. Sorry. Even so, um, I mean, it can't just be the UI UX. There's also like uh, reports of like content not being available. Things don't just seem to work right out of the box. And I would say in this day and age, when it comes to the development of the software, do you think they, they put their money in the wrong place? This is probably iteration number, what, 10 or 12? They probably didn't go through the necessary uh, steps to like, you know, create a quality product. Or is this basically their bullshit way of like, no, this is kind of like, early access like hey you guys uh, try this out and then we figure it out from here I think that there's an element of try it out and figure out and go from here because in terms of software development right you don't want to uh, build too much in your own head and not get user feedback but I think that you do need to get a usable product out there so that users don't just quit and never give you feedback again so I think that there is a balance to strike I think that the BAMTech acquisition is one of the things that they did in order to do sports right but being able to do sports is very different from being able to do subscriber video on demand being able to do sports means i can handle lots of concurrent streams it's just lots of resources and being able to scale up really fast there is parts of the bamtech acquisition that make sense but not all of it maps very well to subscriber video on demand because so much of it relies on the user interface and on content selection i mean it's not totally just bamtech running the whole thing or is it because you did mention that Bentec was originally designed to be more of a, a live sports kind of a platform. Is this more like they're stretching their dollar or this is just more or less like, okay, this is what the platform can do as of now and then we'll see where we can grow from there. Because like, if you want to compare this to something like Netflix, now Netflix also kind of had some growing pains in the early days, especially before it uh, decided to you know, breach beyond like the US and enter regions like Europe and Asia. We weren't around then either. I mean, like, we heard of this, like, amazing thing called Netflix. Okay, we saw all the memes, we saw the, the thing in action. And when it finally arrived in Asia, it was, like, pretty much uh, ready to go from, the, from, like, day one. So, so I think one of the things that uh, we need to be aware of is that Disney is starting, I wouldn't say they're starting from scratch, but they've never run a subscriber video on demand platform before. So there are lots of things that Netflix has already developed. And in a way, because Netflix was the pioneer in this field, uh, everyone will be judged by, if you're doing it different from Netflix, are you doing it better? If you're not doing it better, why don't you just do it like Netflix did it? Mm. Even in terms of the login, even in terms of being able to have user profiles, because here's the thing, right? Everyone's like, oh, you know, like everyone is cheating on Netflix by having multiple users. They know they're multiple users. That's why they have profiles. Mm. So that now your, your selections are not being corrupted by someone else's taste because if you had four people sharing one account, they wouldn't be able to keep you as a user because they don't know who they're profiling. They're profiling four different people. They gave you profiles so they could, they could keep your watching preferences clean even though they knew that they don't get revenue from that. But if you think of it from like a, a rental perspective, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like having an anchor tenant, right? Someone gets the Netflix account, he gets three people to share if, if someone drops out, he's the one that has to go out and acquire a new user. Netflix doesn't. Netflix still gets the full subscription. All they give you is the profiles, which allow you to keep your preferences clean so that they can focus on keeping the individual subtenants happy. Yeah, and I, and I agree to that point too because like what Netflix has done is they made uh, something that is usually solo or 
something very individualistic, uh, so to speak. They made it shareable. There are people out there who don't have their own Netflix accounts, but are probably in piggybacking of somebody else's account. I mean, it's not nefarious what they're doing, because basically what they want to do is they want to create solid uh, like profiles and analytics of every individual user. Actually, yeah. I think it is quite nefarious, because <laughs> I have a friend that tells me, man, I'm so frustrated the content, I'm about to cancel, but my girlfriend and my mother love it, so I can't. And I'm like, that's exactly the that's plan, That's exactly right? the plan, yeah. As long as there's one person willing to pay the full cost of the account that's happy, even if the other people are unhappy, they can just cycle out and Netflix just continues getting the subscription. Bingo. It is downright diabolical that it's only like an extra $2 to have four people instead of two, and it's in 4K. <laughs> And that's that's exactly the hack that they want you to do. <laughs> and it's kind of cool because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys out there with like that amazing Netflix account, and uh, you know, just trying to impress that uh, lovely young lady along the corner. It's like, hey, you can uh, here's a free, you can log into my Netflix, you know? Yeah, dude, they made an entire meme about it. What Netflix and chill? Remember that was a hashtag for the longest time. In fact, it's entered the vernacular as like literal like uh what you call you know dude speak for you know yeah a one night stand this is the thing right when your brand becomes the verb for what that is Mm -hmm. that's when you know you've made it and to a certain extent if you look at like social media accounts right the people talk about their hobbies people put like netflixing as if that's the verb but you know they they don't i haven't seen anyone do huluing or amazoning prime videoing yeah right it's pretty much like back in the 80s when your mom called all your consoles a Nintendo because she just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know what? Uh, I think it's safe to say, right, at this point in time, uh, especially of that point, right? Netflix is just, call it what it is. It's ubiquitous. It's out there. It is the de facto standard when it comes to uh, the streaming platform of things like movies and television shows. And now, uh, I would say... Uh, original content because I think it was Netflix that kind of spearheaded the charge right with House of Cards and then everybody decided to play catch up I think it was Amazon came next and then uh, I don't think Hulu has any original content though. And Handmaiden still? oh well I'm watching that on Amazon strange oh wait yeah what? no it's on Hulu my bad but maybe let's speculate a little bit uh how long do you think it will take for Disney to get their act together? Because even something as simple as a login is probably a monumental task, especially of this caliber. Speaking of logins, right? Okay, there have been reports of several Disney Plus accounts not only getting hacked, but having their uh, passwords changed, having all these users blocked out, and all these accounts are now for sale on the uh, quote-unquote uh, what all the old people call the dark web. But eh, to us, is uh, you know paste bins. We we know what a forum is. <laughs> yeah, I I think that. Account compromises are fairly common and a lot of them happen as part of criminal syndicates as well where they compromise the accounts and they sell them en masse or what some people do is that they sell you a Netflix inverted commerce account and what they do is that they keep cycling prepaid credit cards for the one month trial and then they use another fake credit card number and get another one month trial and these like services, these like cheap Netflix services are people that can easily get their hands on uh, new credit card numbers and keep cycling through the one month uh, subscription and then they sell that online. How would some? How would a company like Disney Plus circumvent that? Because I'm assuming that with all these Disney Plus accounts being uh, hacked and stolen and then sold, uh, the only person who can access it is people who can who basically live within the regions of like North America, uh, England, and Netherlands, right? Because they do have extensive geofencing in place, I guess. Yeah, so what they do is either they check your IP, 
But the easiest thing really is to check your credit card that you're using to pay it with. Mm. Because the credit card company basically does all the vetting for you there. You have a bank account that you are, you know, you have proof of residence and all those things. So credit card is one of the easier ways of uh, checking that you are located where you say you are. Yeah, and uh, we can prove this because I tried to sign up for a Disney Plus account and my uh, my card got rejected because, yep, I'm all the way here in uh, Dinky, Singapore, apparently. But, like, we did mention in the previous podcast where we were talking about how uh, there was a certain region locking, so, so to speak. Uh, maybe for all our Last King fans, uh, we're going to get a little bit technical here. Uh, please mind us. We try to keep it as layman and jargon-free as possible. So geofencing is basically something along the lines of like invisible fences that partition specific regions. And uh, based on your device, uh, as it enters certain regions, your device will have a very unique code that which will identify it within that region and whether it has access to certain things in other regions. Well, basically, it's your IP address. So the main thing that uh, the main thing that these services look for is the IP that you're accessing it from. Now, there are a couple of ways that people circumvent that. One is to use a VPN. The other is to use a smart DNS. So there's a bit of a cat and mouse game that happens between the services and the VPN providers. Basically, the VPN providers try to come up with new ways of making you appear like you're coming from the US or the UK. And what happens is that the studios will check whether they're able to successfully access the shows that are supposed to be fenced off from these areas. I think we need to also explain to uh, the audience is like, this is coming from a business perspective because uh, as much as it would be nice to like you know buy that one uh, subscription to a streaming platform and then you know you have the wealth of content and then you're all wondering to yourselves okay why isn't this available here and there I mean we did mention in the previous podcast that there is such a thing as licensing within regions is it also maybe um, kind of like a safeguard because I don't think it's trying to prevent you from getting content but preventing other people from accessing something that has been licensed to other uh, entities well, it's trying to prevent you as a user from accessing content that legally they are not licensed to provide in that region because normally it's been sold to someone else. There may be something which is first run, meaning that you're in the UK, the first season of your new show that you've done, which is The Last King Show, for example. Oh, hey, in the UK, finally. The first, the first season of Last King Show in the UK must only be shown on Sky. Atlantic. Oh, for why can't we be on the BBC Four? <laughs> okay, let's do BBC Four. <laughs> thank right? you, thank you. BBC Four has exclusive rights, but they sell the rights to everywhere else in the world to Netflix, for example. Uh, okay. So what BBC Four wants to do is they want, they want to make sure that if you view it in the UK, you only view it through BBC Four, and you're not using Netflix on the VPN to do it. Oh, that sounds very much like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like I think Amazon has this like BBC Player or. Something like because if you recall in the last episode we were talking about the new statesman and decided to go straight online to look for episodes, and apparently no, I still can't watch it legally online because I need to be in England for some reason. So it's on BBC iPlayer, right? Something like that, yeah. And then yeah, probably. And iPlayer just doesn't work here. And then you know what's even more hilarious because my co-host is from England, <laughs> and he can't access the shows that he's been watching. So there you go. I think it's also very easy for us to kind of like point to all of this and say like, oh, they just want our money. They don't want to provide an excellent service. But then again, you have to also think about the fact that this is an infrastructure that requires money. 
and I would say building a platform, I mean, moving parts and, and all, is like none of that is cheap. I think one of the main reasons to cover about why Disney is doing this is that right now, Disney still makes a lot of money off DVD sales, they still make a lot of money off downloads on Apple or whatever the mm. case may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is all money that they are paying for DVDs to be made, shipped, sent to stores, the stores take a cut. So what's happening here is that they are making money off these things, but they're spending a lot of money to make money. But once digital distribution becomes uh, the dominant force, hmm. the cost of replication is zero, right? It, it trends towards zero just because... Literally, yeah. Build, like put, put the instance on AWS, populate the CDNs, the content distribution networks all around the world, done. And then after that, it's just people paying you for what they would previously buy a DVD for but now it they may pay you less but you make 100% rather than they pay you whatever $14 for a DVD but you know $2 went for the construction of the DVD delivering to the shop the shop takes a 40% cut whatever the case may be yeah, yeah, yeah. and then when there's second hand DVDs being sold that eats into your first hand DVD sales and you see nothing of that revenue yeah. so I think that once you move to digital they capture a lot more of the value stream and it can be at a much lower price as well yeah true that because uh, I mean we saw uh, we saw the signs very early on, especially once uh, we were transitioning to Blu-ray. And like, you didn't jump on the Blu-ray bandwagon at all, did you? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. Because I saw nothing but diminishing returns after that. Because the difference between like, uh, like 480p to 1080p, while significant, did not warrant any real reason for me to like, like buy my entire movie collection all over again. And the fact of the matter is, right, uh, we are of the generation where we used to curate our movie selections at home, whereas we are the ones transitioning into the more, uh, I would say, ethereal, uh, non-physical form of uh, content distribution. And then, like, the current generation, like millennials and zoomers onwards, like, this is how they, uh, they consume the media right now. And to them, something like Disney Plus is more or less what Blockbuster or Tower Records was to us. To them, it's like basically they're looking at Netflix, they're looking at maybe Disney Plus, and they're thinking to themselves like, so which one do I shop from? And it's like going to be determined by basically not only their tastes, but also peer pressure, what, what is popular and what it is that there's definitely a culture, especially when you look at, say, like superhero movies, for example, where you have to watch it because everybody's talking about it too. And like Disney Plus, do you think like maybe it is focused more on leveraging their content, less so much on the platform? All the hype was directed towards marketing the content and also marketing like how certain titles are not going to be available elsewhere except on here. You gotta come here. We can also point to uh, some parallels such as maybe like uh, the, the video game distribution market where like Steam had a shit opening when it came out when it was released with Half-Life 2. Everybody complained but that was the only place you could get Counter-Strike back then. And then like you know it became the platform that was so beloved and that it becomes so like it's the norm. The difference between I would say something like Valve and Disney is like Valve was they were a game developer who were really interested in building a platform because original steam was basically like four games if you recall but it was four games delivered well okay not exactly delivered well because i remember like logging onto it for the first time and like i gotta wait 24 hours to download this sure okay yeah and this is like early 2000s internet whereas nowadays it feels more along the lines of like disney felt like okay no matter what platform we build people will come because this is where they have 
to go to get the content. I think for them, they probably don't feel like they need to build the very best platform. I'm not saying they're not trying to build the best platform, mm. but they're aware that the quality of their content buys them enough time that they can deliver a version one that isn't great, but people will still come back and they have enough rope because the quality of their content is such that people keep coming back. Also, they can make money elsewhere. And I think this is the main thing for Disney. Their revenue streams from theme parks, from merchandise and all yeah, the Disney other Disney is still Disney. Yeah, You're going to see it more of a, a symbiotic ecosystem mm. where you go to a theme park, maybe you ride in a Disney theme park that has a camera and the next time you go to Disney+, Plus not only do you have all your content, you also have your theme park videos of your family also in your personal reel. Is that a real thing yet? Or is I'm not saying it's a real thing, but I'm just saying these are the types of things that Disney can do. Can because I just say one thing? Uh, copyright last game podcast, that's our idea? <laughs> <laughs> if they but actually they do, do that, I'm going to ask for money. <laughs> that's what they do, right? When they go to a theme park, they've got cameras on like, you know, the roller coasters and like at the end of the roller coaster, you're like, hey, do you want this video? You're like, oh yeah, that looks pretty cool. It's like $50. It was, <laughs> That's, but you pay it because you're like, I've come all the way here, this is an experience, and they know that people are willing to pay for experiences or memories of experiences because that is worth more than you know, something that's a physical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The memory is always something that's more valuable that to you. That $50 like, photograph of you on Splash Mountain is worth way more than that Mickey Mouse plush doll right now, huh? Exactly. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that they're looking... This is some, one of the things that Disney can then do, right? Which is you can watch your entertainment here and then you can watch, you know, your the memories of you at our theme park with our big brother cameras every <laughs> single place that you went to. Well, if you put it that way, sure, I'm signing up right now. <laughs> All my memories? Wait a minute, I... I've only been to Tokyo Disneyland. I've never been to Disneyland Disneyland. What am I missing out on? Huh? Apparently everything, right? I don't know. I need, uh, I need to see... It's a long time ago that when I last I need, went there. Yeah, you know what I mean? I need to re actually see uh, the Haunted Mansion for real one time before they finally decide to close it down or turn it into the frozen Haunted, haunted Mansion. Goddamn. I might need to review that movie. Uh, I can't skip it. Or maybe I can. So, um, we are talking about like you know the platform and... Uh, Basically, yeah, it's everything seems to be more leveraged, not on the stability of the platform, but more on the content. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, is like the content is king because it's like no point building a video game console if you don't have video games. Okay, that's the logic. It's the razor and blade theory. But your console still needs to work well, right? So I think one of the things that I went into was you know how part of building the platform is the usability of the platform. So there are many parts of it. We went through the user login, the user profiles already, but there's even content selection. So what I've seen from some of the screencasts of people interacting with the platform is that they've kind of used what was Netflix's Lolimo uh, interface, which is a like, long list of movies. Which has been replicated by the likes of iTunes and Spotify. Correct. Yeah. Basically, Netflix has done all of the user research, research mm. about what works. That's what works. And everyone else gets to slipstream on that by going, okay, we know this works, we'll just use it and implement that. right? But there are lots of things that are uh, augmented onto that as well. Even when you're inside the playback and you say, I want to fast forward, I want to scroll back, I want to stop here and resume somewhere else. All of those things were done on Netflix first and they do, they do them so that you can stop on your smart TV, get out there, get on the bus, 
resume it on your phone and it picks off exactly, exactly where you left off yeah 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 and there are reports that uh, some that doesn't work properly on Disney yet or some users have complained that the handoff is not working properly mm, yeah but there are even things like you know when you're binging an episode as well right when you're binging a long uh, long series Netflix also has added the auto skip now content creators don't like that because it skips the credits and as a person that used to work in the field I like yeah but my credits I've worked so hard to have my name in the credits but as a we'll user we'll need like, to see that once sir <laughs> I don't I don't need to see that 13 times a season right so like exactly auto skipping the credits and then being able to auto skip the intro those are things that make things easier for users yeah definitely and not everyone has implemented it that I, either also handling network network latency if you've got a poor connection how well does the resolution go down and come back up maybe you realize it maybe you don't even notice it yeah i think that's a point i also want to kind of uh harp on a little bit because uh compared to us here in asia america is not really well known for their amazing internet capabilities i mean they're still struggling with the likes of at&t and verizon and time warner comcast comcast Uh, there you go and disney their affiliation is closer to comcast if i'm not mistaken right but i think that I think that given network neutrality, that shouldn't make a difference. I think that Mm. the quality of the connection is more the characteristics of how that is going in. Is it going in by fiber? Is it satellite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they have satellites there, huh? I mean, there are places where, you know, laying cable doesn't make sense. So there are parts of America where they only use satellite just because no one's going to lay cable for that amount of people. I mean, if you think about it, I'm sorry, you hicks, but we're not going to put cable in the swamp. (laughs) You, you gotta deal with it. Oh gosh, darn it! I'm gonna watch my uh, uh, what's that duck show again? Uh, duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Apparently, they're not rednecks. <laughs> they're just dressed like rednecks. I love that conspiracy. That was amazing. It's very hard for us to also gauge what the audience is because, like, the current rhetoric is basically, "Hey, Marvel fans. Hey, Star Wars fans. Hey, Disney princesses. Like, all you moms out there who need Pixar for your kids, right?" The umbrella term would be, "This is definitely a core demographic." But what I found very, what I found very interesting, yeah, yeah. was that a week after uh, Disney Plus launch, Netflix announced the partnership with Nickelodeon. Yes, I, I recall you shared that article and I was thinking to myself like, okay, we we looks like we have a fight here. <laughs> no, I think that's the thing, right? Like, I, I think that it we can't assume that a market is locked just because these core demographics are spoken for because mm. it's not like moms are going to go, okay, take the remote. When you're asleep, I'm not going to watch anything anymore. So that's why I believe that most people are going to subscribe to both. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure uh, whatever the Disney Plus equivalent of Queer Eye for the straight guy is not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> uh, or maybe it is. And, and that's the thing from a branding perspective that I'm struggling with because right now, you have family, family-friendly stuff on Disney Plus. And then for anything that's like above a certain rating, that goes on Hulu. And that feels like a brand dilution thing, which is like, it's the same company, but you're making me switch between apps for different shows. That doesn't sound to me like a good experience. So one thing I think might happen in the future is they might have some kind of like unifying app. And then you choose what you want to watch and then it bumps you out to the kids kids app if you need to or it bumps you up or maybe something like Netflix where they have like adult profile and kids only profile I don't think that Disney especially when it comes to the branding especially when you have the mouse ears on it right I doubt there will be an adult only profile because I think they want everything to be like a kids only profile I mean the, the closest thing you can probably uh, 
they, I think what they would probably do, I mean, this is just me speculating, right? Is like, eventually, maybe five years, ten years, possibly down the line, there'll be like the Buona Vista app, which is like the the the, the adults only version of Disney Plus. But then again, um, you did mention that your mom would subscribe to Toggle because that's where she watches her Korean shows. But does your mom like subscribe to something like Netflix? Because like. The b- she just uses mine <laughs> yeah exactly you know and it, the thing is right like the boomer generation the generation before us is like uh, like my mom watches Netflix once in a while but she doesn't feel that she doesn't have the addiction to it like maybe some, somebody like me because uh, I've already established certain relationships with shows and uh, also because it just fills in the gaps of my my current work life because you know like the only time I actually have any opportunity to watch any uh, entertainment is like literally on the commute to work hmm. and on the commute back you know and like once you're at home you just don't want to put your eyeballs on onto another screen ever again but I would also say when it comes to the content especially uh, I don't know because like the one thing that uh, was probably gonna help bolster initial interest in subscriptions is uh the Star Wars spin-off TV show The Mandalorian yeah, which uh, came out to pretty I wouldn't say rave reviews but uh, I think the overall consensus was like it didn't suck yeah, <laughs> which is a lot to say for like modern day Star Wars stories and if anything it's like okay at least Disney has their foot in the ground somewhere else because like despite all the birthing pains of the platform in itself and uh, especially when you mention when it comes to the UI and the user interface I mean this is all going to be just data they need to reassess and uh, definitely I would say they need to reconvene and then like just keep pushing out I don't know what's the term for it patches you, you can't patch a, a streaming service right Netflix doesn't ask you to download updates um, no it, 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 the, the, the patches just happen on the back end so it'll just mm. be a new update and it's transparent to the user <laughs> Millennials, they they're gonna watch the Mandalorian because Star Wars is a thing, and that's they're gonna rebuild. They're gonna build their relationships with whatever the content is that's happening right now on Disney, compared to us where we have like this backlog of old shows, new shows, and then pretty much our attention span has been stretched so far that to us something like a Disney Plus seems like uh, just an, another plate to carry, whereas like for the millennial is like maybe. As I was mentioning earlier, when it comes to those who are now topping out and entering their uh, disposable income phase in life, to them, like getting a Disney Plus is like, of course, like all these Marvel movies which I grew up watching, like now I have them, at, like, you know, on my phone finally. I think that, I think that um, Mandalorian will get some people to subscribe. Yeah. What I'm curious about is after you've subscribed and watched Mandalorian how many other shows are you going to watch before you la- start losing interest? Basically, for platforms, that this is basically what they refer to as user churn, right? When a user subscribes, then he's like, there's nothing new here, and then he doesn't renew. Mm, yeah, exactly. So, when they, so I think what would be curious, and the user figures that have been given so far have been uh, both trial and free and everything all combined. So I think the issue I have with the numbers reported so far is it's not separating people that signed up and paid with your credit card versus people that have a free trial either that came with their Verizon or things like that. So when you don't separate mm, that, yeah, yeah. you don't know how many people got it free and how many people said, I put down my credit card and I'm paying for this. So I think that you won't see any meaningful numbers to judge its success until all of these free and trial accounts start 
getting to the point where they expire or people need to start putting down actual money for them. Yeah, and then like the official numbers as of now is basically, I mean, Disney has only released the total amount of subscriptions with no breakdowns whatsoever. So it's all just roughly speculation, right? The important thing to note is why people are counting subscribers is because that's what Netflix reports. So for the longest time, because Netflix is a public company, but they don't want to give away too much data because the data becomes something that competitors can analyze uh, yeah. can analyze and use against them. What they are comfortable with is saying we have how many subscribers and alluding to how many international and how many are US-based. So as a result, the entire SVOD industry takes a number of subscribers as a metric to, to judge on. However, that makes sense for Netflix because when you say a Netflix subscriber, you you know someone that's paid at least the lowest plan a month. Which is like $12 Singapore for reference here. Whatever the case is, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know that that's their revenue. But when you have platforms like Amazon that give it away for free with Prime, mm-hmm. platforms like Apple that give it away for free with an Apple device, mm. and platforms like Disney Plus that give it for free to Verizon users if you're a Hulu user, mm. or if you have all of these other platform, uh, all of these other memberships that give you a free Disney Plus account, then it becomes a bit harder to count a user and tie it to revenue. And then when it, you can't do that, that tie-off because maybe the value to these companies is not the money it brings in, but how it contributes to the overall ecosystem, which is you stay on Prime or you stay, or you buy an Apple device when you do your next uh, device buy or yeah. you go to my theme park because you watch this series on Disney+. Plus, Which is probably something they could do right now, especially to calm all the complaints that it's been receiving, especially when it comes to all the, the platform issues. Because I think like there's a lot of people out there, especially if you have your account hacked and stolen, uh, a nice free... A pair of free tickets to Disneyland would be very appropriate about now, you know, or at least... And something they can afford to give because, you know, the cost is amortized over the number of users they expect a year anyway. Exactly. I mean, like, like even compared to Netflix, Netflix is like, if it goes down, it goes down. It's like, what else can they do, right? Because that is their, their do-or-die situation, right? This is all we have. Whereas Disney, they still can kind of uh, use their... The, the other income streams to bolster especially all these building problems like we need to probably compare Disney to something like Amazon because Amazon is realistically what they're trying to be where like we have the bread and butter on the left and here's our streaming service as well do with as you may but then again uh, like one thing I also want to kind of bring up right especially since now we're going to branch off more into the content stuff is the fact that uh, yeah so besides the Mandalorian <laughs> What else are we going to watch? Because uh, from what I understand, right, is like, uh, as of now, still no Infinity War. So sorry, uh, all you Marvel fans who thought, hey, you're going to get all like 10 years worth of movies. No. Uh, so one thing that you brought to my attention, which definitely gave me a worthy giggle and chuckle, is the fact that, oh, for a streaming service that is paid for, we still get ads. <laughs> and not only that, ads for stars. <laughs> Stars, because, <laughs> because Stars still has some of our content that we would not be able to launch with. Which is also strange because it's like, what? Even if they advertise, advertise Stars, right? Uh, hey, we got season three of Spartacus, I guess. <laughs> what, what's, a, what's available on Stars that you can't get anywhere else in it now? The, the only one I can think of actually is Spartacus. Yeah, right. That show was amazing, sir. <laughs> I would love a third season. 
like I, yeah, I, I I loved the first season. I didn't really get into the second because after Andy Whitfield died, it was like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was too much of a bummer, right, to enjoy anything it, that happened. It's after. a it's a bummer to watch watch it and go, oh, but it's not, yeah. Oh man, but then it gave us it gave the world Jai Courtney, the man who ruined so many franchises all by himself. <laughs> it's like, and 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 uh, who who was the guy that played Batiatus? I can't remember. He was in the Mummy, right? That dude, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's he's basically Ari Paul in Roman times. Oh, <laughs> nice one. <laughs> now I see it. God damn it! Shit. Uh. Okay. So yeah, why we're tangenting about stars again? All right, because uh, Star still owns Black Panther and what's the other one again? Infinity War, right? Yeah, and it's kind of weird. Uh, not sure, not sure if it's Infinity War, but definitely it's, no stars. It's not Black Panther. Black Panther is with Netflix. Oh stars wait, owns, it's Star yeah. Wars. They own like Force Awakens or something, right? No, it is. It's the Force Awakens. They have to run the Star Wars uh, to get, which is so beautifully ironic that a company called Stars still has the streaming rights to the Force Awakens, which is the first movie before the last movie, which everybody complained about, and we have another movie on the horizon uh, dropping exactly in December. So yeah, let's see how long this lasts because like. Man, this is the snake eating itself. Uh, this is hilarious. Ah, gosh. I mean, like, one of the things I want... Why I want to mention The Mandalorian and also kind of to tie in the previous point, right? Because, uh, say what it is, uh, despite the fact that, you know, it's a little bit lackluster right now, especially in terms of the current movies. You know, like, I did not hate The Force Awakens. I kind of hated The Last Jedi. And I'm really not looking forward to the third movie. But I did enjoy uh, The Mandalorian. And I also did enjoy Rogue One, Rogue One especially. And I would say, right, uh, I mean, it was the smart move for Disney to kind of make the Disney Plus not only like the the Marvel platform, but it's also the Star Wars platform. And the Star Wars, that is something that is intergenerational because boomers, Generation Xers, Millennials, and I don't know about Zoomers, maybe, yeah. Because Star Wars is something that culturally is something that you hand down to the next generation because there will always be a new guy who finally watches Luke take down the, the, the Death Star for the first time and you're an instant fan. And the fact that Star Wars exists now in the Disney Plus platform. I mean, like uh, I'm finally like uh, reeling from the thought that there was a time when like I had the VHS tapes and then when Laserdisc was the thing, I had the Laserdiscs. And then when the DVDs arrived, I got the DVDs. And when the Blu-rays arrived, I decided to skip it because, you know what? It's That's not the Star Wars that I remember. It's some different uh, reprocessed, remastered and recut edition that I, like, I, I don't think is worthy of my collection. But at the same time, it's like, um, yeah, it's like, I think that once Disney Plus finally gets the ball rolling and especially like you know for guys like us okay it's like every once in a while we're gonna we definitely want to pop in empire strikes back once in a while to remind us how great that movie was and then we have to realize it's like oh yeah if you want to watch empire strikes back unless you have some dvd or blu-ray or vhs lying around that still works with the player that still works right the only option you have is yeah you gotta subscribe to this disney plus thing that's where it is now and then it becomes that, that that walled garden again, you know. It's like it's basically like the Apple ecosystem, you know. Like, hey, you want to use Final Cut Pro? You gotta get a Mac. I'm sorry. And 
I would say that is one of the things that kind of depresses me. The fact that, uh, I mean, aside the concept of ownership, yeah, that that I mean, it's so weird that when it comes to owning movies, that that is something that's going to be a relic of the past. It's going to be like, no, you're just going to be licensing this movie for like you know a subscription or like you know for a limited viewership until we you know you end the contract with us and then like, hey, you can't watch this ever again. But I think it's kind of like. I think it's a generational thing as well, right? Because what what's happening now is that who owns books still? I do. Versus, yeah, I mean, some like there are people that still own books. But we're phasing but then, out, right? But it's it's getting to a point like you know it takes up space. You you like if you own books, chances are you've got a library, you've got tons of shelves. It takes up a lot of space, and I think that even people that own books are reaching a point with like, Bleh. I'm going on holiday. I don't. I. I'm not gonna pack five books. I'll just bring the ebook reader. Mm. So I think that the idea of owning physical copies, yeah, and the idea and also the output, right? It's also that there's a lot more content that's you know bukaking you all the time these days. Yeah, definitely. If you own a physical copy of everything, you would actually run out of space quite fast. Mm. So, I think the concept of owning a physical thing is going away. But I think that also what that means is that the marginal cost of production is also trending towards zero, so you're still paying something for it. But it also means that the cost of getting it in your hands has reduced, and it means that a lot more of that can be generated. True that, but then again, uh, as much as I appreciate the fact that yeah, you know, if ever one day I decide to shuck off my corporate lifestyle and move on and be a digital nomad, traveling the world and taking awesome Instagram pictures. And still knowing that, yeah, you know, I still got Star Wars on my phone or my iPad or whatever, right? Okay, then comes the caveat. Uh, even the Star Wars that exists on Disney Plus is still not the Star Wars that I remember, because apparently, from reports that I've read, um, yeah, uh, Han still doesn't shoot first for some reason. It's like we don't have that that ability to go back to the library, so to speak, because. I would say this right. Uh, one thing we also kind of need to mention, right? As much as uh, content-wise, I mean, we covered it in the previous podcast, where like, yeah, sure, this is where you're gonna go and get uh, all your Star Wars and your Disney princesses and your Marvels, right? But it's not even the Star Wars that we remember. So like, this is not even marketed towards us. Maybe I don't know because, uh, or it's not even, or it's not even the Simpsons that we remember. Exactly. Either. Yeah, because like there was this uh, mini debacle that occurred where. Because Simpsons, if you recall, uh, Generation Xers, remember when I was on a square TV, and like, remember the moment we went to HD, and you thought to yourselves, "This looks kind of weird now. <laughs> there's too much space in between the, the the sides, right?" And yeah, there's been reports where like uh, episodes of The Simpsons have been uh, cropped to to match a uh, white screen, which I think is the dumbest thing ever. Because we are we're fine with black white, bars on the side. White. White screen crop is the devil. White screen, that is the dumbest ask, thing. <laughs> ask any cinematographer. <laughs> Leave the sides black. We're fine. <laughs> Leave the composition as it was shot. Don't crop on my behalf. <laughs> and, then, and we're talking about animation, right? Which has nothing but visual jokes. Now, it's essentially ruined. Because, like, you know, it, it won't make sense if you don't see what's going on off screen, right? Uh, what is it that Homer is doing at now? Who knows? And like, uh, but yeah, again with the apologies, Disney also kind of mentioned like, oh, we're gonna fix it in 2020. They apparently have other things to worry about. 
which is like yeah not only making the platform work but probably the onslaught of other complaints that's soon to pop up and this is even before we have it in our own hands for us to witness by ourselves uh, and, and this to and just to give you an idea this is one of the things that Netflix does very well which is whenever they look at masters or whenever they get masters for programs they insist on the original masters and if there's any discrepancy as to what aspect ratio it was shot what frame rate it was shot they always insist on going back to as close to what the finalized edit was as possible mm, yeah because I don't really mind because every once in a while like uh, I think there was once like, like remember when Lawrence of Arabia or was it Dr. Zhivago was on Netflix and I remember like just these epic bars on the top because David Lean didn't give a fuck he's like yep that's the aspect ratio and like again like that did not that was not detrimental to the entertainment experience what is detrimental is like if, if you cut out the Duff beer jokes because it's not in frame you're kind of ruining it for all of us you know and it, if anything is like what I'm really worried about is like uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode is like I need a place which curates something and not only curates it but preserves it you know, I'm a huge fan of like uh, establishments like the Criterion Collection, where it's nothing but remastering and rejiggering a little bit, just cleaning up all the the, the furry. Like you know, like, re- I don't mind a little bit of like film hair once in a while, but like if you can give it to me in like a pristine new print, it's like you're doing the Lord's work here, guys. So uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say it's laziness. I don't want to say it's uh, probably intentional either, because I think somebody. In like you know, somewhere in like the Disney broadcasting, uh, the arm or the, I don't know what you call that arm or the arm where it's like we, they decide whether it's full screen or white screen. And then probably this Disney streaming services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then somebody thought like, oh, everything has to be white screen. Oh, we have all these classic Simpsons, like twenty fucking seasons in its original four by three aspect ratio. Fuck it, <laughs> cut it. <laughs> it's like, oh, who whoever signed on on that, please get fired. <laughs> I, I think one of the interesting things as well is that recently there was a Netflix announcement to cinematographers that uh, they should be shooting HDR for all Netflix originals from now on. Why? So that the full as uh, so that the full dynamic range dynamic range is there, and you can make a creative choice to not uh, to to not use the full dynamic range, but I think. It's the intention is to have as much dynamic range in the originals as possible, so that you know, one of the reasons, right? We can do all these remasters whenever digital media, like when we went to DVD or went to Blu-ray, and suddenly we have all these remasters. Part of the reason we were able to do these remasters because the masters were in film. Yep. And film doesn't have pixels. It blows up to any size. Yeah. So you could retell a cine. So I think the concept there is that. If you capture as at, as at high resolution as possible, that allows you to remaster indefinitely. And for Netflix, I think the idea behind this is that if your camera can handle high dynamic range, shoot high dynamic range so that if we want to do a remaster or, or we want to do this in high dynamic range in the future, we have that option open to us. But isn't that also more along the lines of like, if your TV supports it in the first place, because I d- is high dynamic range the thing that's going to catch on? I mean, are you a fan of it in the first place? I am a fan of high dynamic range when you have the TV to display it correctly. Exactly. But that's the big caveat, because high dynamic range requires a TV that 
arguably you want a TV that can handle, handle a thousand nits and most consumer TVs do 400, 600, depends on which version you have. Yeah. So I think there's there's a bit of confusion there where high dynamic range depends a lot on technical details that most lay people don't understand. Mm, yeah, true. And whenever there is that kind of ambiguity, it's not helpful because people go, I bought this TV, it said it was HD, but it's not full HD. What does that mean? Oh, you bought a 720 TV. What is 720? And, and then there was 720i or 720p. <laughs> Correct. So whenever you have that kind of confusion, it doesn't help for adoption of technology. Yeah. And I think that the problem that we have now is that there have been a lot of manufacturers that say we have a HDR TV then I look at the specs like it's 400 nits you need a minimum of how much but not not everyone's going to know that as well exactly that's the problem yeah, I mean like if you recall literally maybe 5 years or maybe 10 years ago when they were trying to like stuff stereoscopic 3D down our throat because Avatar was a thing for a second and that didn't catch on at all yes it didn't catch on at all it didn't catch on at all because there were a lot of things that were not executed well and they tried to crowbar they tried to shoot stuff 2D and then do stereoscopic 3D in posts which were just really bad experiences I mean basically it's just the subtitles that pop right it's hard to do it tastefully and a lot of people weren't doing it tastefully they're just doing it so that it would make more money because a stereoscopic screen screening is more expensive you can charge higher price tickets I think so too I mean like even not even to say tastefully if you were to do it gimmickly like I really like the the reboot of uh, My Bloody Valentine the 3D edition I mean it was basically you know it's a roller coaster right you just go there for the thrills and for the gimmicks and then like okay sure Avatar is the gold standard and nobody else has matched it like, like and we had Correct. to sit through like five fucking Transformers movies which also, like this doesn't look nice at all, and I think people caught on very quickly that, uh, yeah, twenty dollars for a garbage movie, even though it's three D, and uh, I mean, like the 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 thing that supplanted immediately was, uh, if you recall, like you know, okay, I would say five ten years ago was three D, and then came VR for a hot second, and VR is a totally different experience, and like I mean, it's kind of cool to think that maybe one day we could be watching VR movies. Though I think, uh, I think there'll be Avatar too. Where else can James Cameron go, right? I, the, there's a very big problem with VR, and it's mostly with how your body uh, and your and your eyes work. Yeah. Right. The problem with uh, VR is that as long as you are VR has to be static. It's very hard to move the camera without making people motion sick. Sick motion sick, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you have movement cues. And the problem with VR as well is that if you have a moving camera and you suddenly stop. As a human, when you walk and you stop, there's a bob, yeah. right? But you kind of expect it because your hu- your body is actually in motion. Mm. In VR, when it stops, you're missing the bob. Either there's a bob, which you then get dizzy from because it's a bob that your body did not anticipate since you weren't actually walking. Yeah. Or there's an absence of a bob and then your eyes go, oh, I've stopped, but I normally expect this physical motion. And whenever that's why people get dizzy. Yeah. The One of the... One of my friends was a stere- uh, stereographer, which is basically he was doing stere- stereoscopic 3D and he was doing the depth corrections and he was deciding, okay, this scene has how much uh, depth in, in when we throw the thing towards the screen and stuff like that. Okay. And the reason he was one of the best was because he got nauseous very easily. <laughs> so, so he was very sensitive to the pain that it would cause if he did it badly. <laughs> you know, that is 
proper hiring whoever the hr was on that day was like oh uh, yeah uh, the lower the threshold the more accurate the bob mm, apparently so, so so he so he was very gentle with it and also part of it is that the problem with stereoscopic 3D as well is that yeah. your eyes are kind of lying to you because the screen is a certain distance away let's say you know, yeah. the screen is let's say 20 feet away your eyes see visual cues that tell you that this depth is like 40 feet but you're focusing on 20 feet mm. so then you for some people they can handle it for for some time but for some people their brain in, like interprets that and like there's something wrong so clearly you're on drugs and I need to make you vomit so that it gets all of the the magic mushrooms out yeah yeah I mean like uh, I mean, it's not uncanny valley is another term I know exactly what you're talking about where uh, basically it's like the simulca and simulcrum where that that is not supposed to be where it is right now according to your eyes and your brain and like like I mean uh, when it comes to, like I mean why are we tangent off so far <sighs> we were talking about HDR for a while <laughs> We were, I think one thing that you were talking about was when you talk about stereoscopic 3D, one thing that it did contribute to was that people started preparing for stereoscopic 3D. So uh, HDMI 1.4, um, all of the like network, all of the broadcast networks started increasing their bandwidth to support stereoscopic uh, 3D. But stereoscopic 3D yeah. died, but that bandwidth allowed them to go to 4K. So it, it did serve its purpose for something. I would say like, and it wasn't even through, uh, it, it didn't just directly do that because if it wasn't for stereoscopic 3D, 144 hertz gaming wouldn't be a thing because we would be still stuck in the 60 hertz to 100 hertz era. So like, thank you stereoscopic 3D for uh, creating obnoxious monitors so that uh, Counter-Strike is now 200 frames. Sure, like I really need it now. <laughs> I used to play this on like a 24 hertz monitor. Like I didn't know the difference. Remember when we used to get the Samsung Sing Master, the 30Hz machines, and we thought, this is the smoothest shit in the world. My eyes have seen the glory. I have seen the glory. Oh my god, it's so crispy and smooth. Ugh. And it's like, I mean, uh, look at all these young whippersnappers on YouTube complaining about motion blur. Motion blur is natural. You guys are weird. I don't know. Like for me, HDR feels like another gimmick that may or may not catch on. And it's strange because... Uh, Everybody tells me, right, that the selling point of HDR is basically, look at how deep and rich the black are. And I was like, yeah, you can also just change the exposure and like just up the contrast to get the exact same vibe. And I, I think it's the same thing as stereoscopic 3D. Yeah. It's one of those things where it needs to be done tastefully, but what happens is that it gets done properly once, like Avatar for stereoscopic 3D. Mm. And then everyone goes, oh, this is the new trend. I have to use it for everything. Let's use it for romantic comedy. Let's use it for like something that's... <laughs> no, it's not going to work. Let's use it for sports and use it for completely inappropriate things. Yeah. So I think that... Going back to the first episode, right? We talked about how Hollywood keeps latching on to sequels and, and comic book movies because it's going to sell well because it's got this built-in fan base. And I think it's the same for like technical gimmicks as well. Mm. Oh, people like stereoscopic 3D because Avatar did well. Stereo-S3D all the things. Yeah, and like now it's HDR and like everybody, it's like the, the, the arms race now among like television because no one's going to go to 8K. That That's a resolution that is just goddamn obnoxious unless you're shooting in 8K and cutting down to 4. That's the you're, only reason. You're I never... You're never going to see the difference because you don't have a big enough house for a screen. For the screen that size. You need an 80-inch 
mon- like television to understand 8K. And even so, yeah, we've all seen that display footage of the bird and the girl walking on the beach at every fucking be- best dinky. It's like, that's that's the only reason to have 8K. Like, like are, you, are you gonna watch The Dark Knight in 8K? Is the, is the movie better? It's, just, it's, it's still good. It's just... Yeah, like, oh, now I can see every single porn Heath Ledger's, like, makeup face. But that... Uh, I don't know. I, I can see... I can see 8K probably becoming something more, like, 10-bit color. Which is... Ah, yeah. It's not something that is used visually for the eye to see. But it's used, it's used in a way that allows the creators to do something so for 10-bit color you can do you can get a better color grade you can pull a cleaner color key bingo i think 8k would be more of like a okay we can't necessarily do this shot uh perfectly Mm. but we're going to cover it in 8k and then if we need to do a bit of resuming in post or some stabilization we have the resolution to burn to yeah basically because 8k is the ultimate uh safe (laughs) <laughs> the view space just, and, I, and I can see a lot of people that just shoot it wide we'll do the zooming in post right bingo right because then you don't need to like waste money on lenses or anything else so so you know you, you'll see lots of like two shot interviews where they like set up one camera do the whole interview and then like ev- all the angles will be cut from the same angle <laughs> you just cut the thing in half right then we just pan yeah. left and right there are yes. already there are actually already live sports things that do that where they oversample so they get a very high resolution camera mm-hmm. and then they they do the automatic edits based on the location of the ball makes total sense because now I can imagine like the line producer sitting in the booth looking at just one screen okay that corner that corner right in the middle it's basically an iPad it's an iPad that you go okay this shot this shot this shot yeah, genius if only that's available on Disney Plus oh what a tangent that was <laughs> how do we end up here so, uh, okay, one final thing to probably close off uh, the episode, right? Okay, we were talking about content, we were talking about the availability, we were talking about definitely uh, the quality content, the content that's available, how some of the content has not been curated or kept pristine. Disney spent a pretty penny acquiring a rival studio. And not only a rival studio, but uh, the assets of a rival studio. Now, Fox, uh, for all it's worth, uh, you know, 20th Century Fox. I'm going to miss that fanfare so much. You know, the blaring horns before the film. Ta-da. Yeah. You, do you miss the MGM Lion? Kinda. I kind of miss the MGM Lion. As, as a person who was addicted to Turner Classic Movies back in the old cable days, that, that was the thing for me. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, I mean, like from the MGM Lion to like a sweeping Leonard Bernstein score is like so seamless. It's like, oh god, this is... I'm watching a film, motherfucker. <laughs> but do you feel like those are the kind of cues that are missing these days? Like the sense of cinema? Exactly. I mean, you know what kind of freaked me out? Because when Disney bought over uh, Lucasfilm, I was like thinking, oh wait, are they going to do the Wish Upon a Star before the Star Wars march? That'd be so weird, right? Because you were always familiar with the 20th Century Fox, the, the, the fanfare, and then... Like it's the Star Wars theme, and then like you think like because because it because it goes so well because the fanfare sounds in the same key and everything. Yeah, because John Williams knew what he was doing, and then it's like imagine like when you wish upon a star. It's like that's, that's like fucking jarring. <laughs> it's like okay, this doesn't work at all, you know. But then they've done a way they they've kind of eased the the fanboys by having they they created the Lucasfilm uh title. And it's just silence, you know? And it's basically the Luke theme uh, kind of bubbling in the background. And then, then they launch into the Star Wars theme. 
Mm. So it's like, all right, okay, I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, but if anything, like, okay, now one thing I really want to bring up, and this is something that is uh, not only prevalent to Disney Plus as a service, but also to uh, Disney Plus in terms of their business model and what and how they handle uh, content. Because, okay, we just complained about, you know, you know, yeah, Han didn't shoot first and fucking Simpsons is ruined forever until 2020, apparently, when they're going to fix the resolutions. But Disney has acquired Fox. Now, Fox has not had any, uh, according to like the literature and also to the videos that we have seen, there is no presence of anything Fox yet. But one thing I do want to kind of bring up is the fact that, uh, okay, maybe some of you uh, in the audience may be aware that Disney has this uh, practice or what they call the vault. Now, the vault is basically their opportunity to lock things away and to uh, Im- like imply a scarcity that is really not true. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure somewhere out there, a lot of you are trying to find your Bambi on DVD and you're wondering why isn't it available and like you go to any web store or even to any like DVD shop and it's like, oh, it just doesn't exist because, you know, it's in the Disney vault. It's not going to be re-released until uh, a certain window or a certain time. And then what i've discovered uh, during the research for this episode is like uh, not only has disney been keeping certain classic disney stuff in the vault but apparently a lot of the fox uh, catalog is going straight into the vault and uh, this was brought to light by a tweet from edgar wright who was kind of pissed off about the fact that i think he wanted to like host like a, a viewing party of like maybe the omen or something and then he had to get like the to have it play in a cinema. You need to get the rights officially. Apparently, Disney like rejected him straight away. I was like, oh no, it's in the vault. And that was the ex- that was the explanation. And then, like there were cinema managers over in the US who have like certain movies removed from their uh, daily rotation because Disney has announced like, okay, none of these movies can be shown in the cinemas that you are managing anymore because they're entering the Disney vault. That is the official reason. And this has uh, made a lot of people very uh, nervous because if I'm not mistaken, there is a list that exists. I don't know if it's updated, but then like, I can't even see David Cronenberg's The Fly anymore because it's going to be locked in the vault. I don't know how you can justify that kind of user experience, right? Like where you are artificially creating scarcity. It's not like, oh, my hands are tight. I've sold it. This is very different from like, I've sold the rights. This is they this own is, the rights. They own the studio. They own correct. everything. So yeah. So I, I I can't see a practice like this being popular with users because like you've already seen people offended by oh why is it not available in my country? Hmm. So the fact that what do you mean you have it? What do you mean you own it? What do you mean you're holding on to it? You think you're supreme? <laughs> well, it is the house of monster. <clears throat> uh, I mean. I don't know if this is something that... Okay, because we can only speculate and we don't have the actual data right now or the information. I mean, for me, best case scenario is if they can't retain any of the current subscribers or viewership because of maybe birthing problems or because the content kind of runs dry very quickly because you can only do so much with Marvel, Star Wars, The Princess and the Pixar movies, right? I mean, I'm not even sure if they have the classic Disney stuff available yet. Because I would love to see a remastered version of like the original Herbie movies. Or maybe like, you know, remember classic Disney kids from the 90s like the the, the, the Boogity Boo Man trilogy. 
And it's like, okay, until that exists, uh, sure, what else can you do to kind of uh, satiate like the all the masses who have signed on to this platform? And like my initial my initial thought was basically, uh, yeah, we have all these Fox movies as well. We own this stuff. Sure, you can watch Aliens, you can watch Predator, you can watch like you know whatever it is that was under the Fox umbrella. But what I understand is like uh, they're kind of moving all this into the vault. And then if I'm not mistaken, stuff from the vault stays in the vault for a certain period of time. This could possibly be just Disney being corporate bullies, like buying out their competitors and like locking them away forever because like there has been no announcement because Disney also owns the entire Miramax line. Yeah. I don't see but I don't see how this benefits them. Like literally you have a platform that users are paying you every month for mm. and you're withholding content from that platform. I, I don't see how this is something that makes your users like you. True that, but then again, we can also talk about the generational gap because it's like, I'm pretty sure Zoomers have no idea the glory that is maybe David Cronenberg's The Fly, you know? But they definitely know fucking Black Panther and like, this is where I go to see Black Panther. So like, it's... I think maybe the next conversation we need to have is right. We need to see what the demographics are. We need to see. We need to pay also kind of attention to the marketing and to the hype machine, because it's like I think you're only ever going to hear any information when it's good information, and if it's bad information, you will hear nothing. Mm. So like even even with the phrasing that a lot of these uh, platforms use, right? Yeah, they will tell you there were how many streams how many views, how many subscribers, or how many accounts watch it. They all mean different things. Mm. Like you're saying, oh, we have 10,000 streams. Well, all a stream means is that it could be one person watching it f- four times. He watched, He woke up, he watched it on his TV, he got onto the bus, he switched to a mobile stream, he got to his office, he watched it on his laptop, mm. he got... Then he took the bus home, he, he switched back to his mobile. That's four streams. It's meaningless. It could be one account that is like, you know, four different people on the same account sharing it. Mm, yeah. It could be one profile. So a lot of the terminology that they use will be whatever benefits the, whatever stat that they're throwing out. Yeah, whatever the marketing is or whatever it is, they can use to convince people to either invest more into the project or for even subscribers to like, oh, like, yeah, it's got, there's a million people here, I might as well join the crowd. And, uh, I mean, like, uh, especially, you know, as a person who runs a podcast, even the way the analytics is like presented to me, what do you mean, what's the difference between play, engagement, and whatever, you know, it's like, how many people press play, how many people listen to a certain point, how many people listen to the entire episode, you know, where they listen to the episode. So it's like uh, something like this, right? Especially when it comes to the metrics of delivery. It's like, and something that you, like, especially somebody like me will find useful when it comes to maybe even monetizing something, right? But then, like, a company like Disney, like, okay, these numbers is basically, I mean, they're a public traded company, right? This is something that you need to kind of impress the stakeholders and the shareholders. I mean, you're going to have your AGM, you're going to need to remind people with their money in the company. It's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Like, we have a, a million people watch this. Please, you're fine. Yeah, so what they're definitely going to do is because they're going to spend a lot of money on Disney+, Plus. they're going to be cannibalizing a lot of their existing income streams. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, I think the conversations that Bob Iger probably needs to have with the investment community is definitely why is this bet worthwhile? Because you've been licensing it very profitably to Netflix for a while. Why are you now 
not licensing it to, to them anymore, meaning you lose out on licensing revenue. Mm. You're building the platform, meaning you think you can build a platform better than they can. You're a, you're a, a content company. They are your TV company. They are a tech company, and you're trying to do what they do best. So I think those are the kinds of conversations that the investment community would be interested in from that regard. My goodness, but I think also maybe the the retort would be something along the lines of like, why do we need to give them money now? You, more of money, profit from us means more profit for you. That could be also like the the Correct. the quick speak that they're having right now. Correct, which is what I mentioned earlier, right? Which yeah, yeah. is like you know printing DVDs, sending it out to distributors, giving it to Best Buy, giving Best Buy a cut. When it sells secondhand, Disney makes no additional money. It might be sell, sold secondhand, thirdhand, and this is a big problem for the gaming industry as well because mm. you know Best Buy does all of the the sales for the secondhand and thirdhand games, but the game studios don't get anything. Yeah, it's like you know, and then they used to blame GameStop for ruining the game industry. It's like no, it's the shitty games that people have to resell. Hey. So if anything, uh, well, we should be wrapping this up. This has been a very healthy conversation here on the Last Game Podcast. Uh, part two of Netflix is dead. Uh, I mean, uh, I would definitely love to dive in more with this, especially once we get our hands on it, because I think it's only been announced in 2020 until it reaches Asia officially, right? I think I think we're gonna have to figure out how to jump the geofence <laughs> or dig under <laughs> Tunnel Bear. Uh, not a sponsor. <laughs> But I would say, like, okay, tell you what, I mean, we should be wrapping this up because we did cover a myriad of topics. So, I mean, in conclusion, uh, Disney Plus still out of our hands, but according to uh, uh, reports and the stuff we're paying attention to, it is on its way, I would say. I don't think it's going anywhere still. It feels like it is healthy. I mean, it's always healthy to have competition, but I don't know, I... Like, from the original intent of, like, seeing something to kind of go head-to-head with the giant that is Netflix. And I think even Netflix is not worried. Because there was, like, this huge... Uh, like, when Disney Plus launched, right, and then people were, like, looking at the stock market to think, like, okay, how much are there, like, how much is the value of Netflix going to go? Oh, it, it, it didn't budge at all. We're fine. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's always that knee-jerk reaction to when something arrives. And then with branding as strong, I mean, like the conglomerate that is Disney, you know, it's it's basically like a tech giant. I mean, like, again, with the video game reference, it's like when Nintendo went up against Sony. Like, Nintendo makes video games. Sony makes everything. And it's like, it's, it's a totally different... I mean, a lot of people like to paint it as a David and Goliath thing. And the strange thing is, right, Goliath in this case is Netflix which is not I would say if anything Netflix is just battling they're basically like uh, Sisyphus pushing that boulder up the mountain hoping to death that you know it, they don't lose their grip and then Disney just comes trembling along I, I think the analogy actually is more like uh, Disney is going into a pond to fight like Netflix the shark right but then Disney also has like amphibious like you know it, it can it can it can function in the sky it can function everywhere else yeah. it's Netflix only does streaming video so it's taking on Netflix there but Disney can make money elsewhere mm. so if anything like yeah uh, there are no battle lines I would say there is no streaming war so to speak it's basically another company has entered the ring and they're stumbling along and uh, well hopefully one thing right is like I think at the end of the day, right, 
I am still not convinced on subscribing to Disney Plus because firstly, uh, my childhood! Sean Shot first, goddammit, give me that version forever. Fix your Simpsons. Where's my Jim Henson content, you fuckers? Alright, because <laughs> you have that library in you. Okay, release all those Miramax movies, release all those Fox movies. And like, the more, you know what? It's like, the more I read about it, the less I like them. <laughs> If anything, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna still hold on to my Netflix subscription. How about you, Dustin? Uh, I think one of the things Reed Hastings said best is that like streaming video isn't really going away because people are still spending three to four hours a day on it. The bigger worry is that people go, you know what? I'm gonna go out and talk to real people. <laughs> I'm gonna go play Fortnite. I'm going to go on a Tinder date. I think those are the things that they regard as bigger threats, oh. which is. A lifestyle change completely where you don't stream video for entertainment and you do something else instead. I'm gonna go out and just do, you know, normal things. <sighs> yeah. Okay, you know, and on that note, I think we should be ending this episode. Okay, this has been part two of our special Netflix is Dead, uh, Disney Plus Forever, kinda, maybe, here on the Last King Podcast. And of course, uh, you can listen to us uh, wherever you get your, uh, your podcasts uh, on your iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Dustin, uh, remind our listeners where they can find you again. I'll try to spell it correctly this time. <laughs> okay, you can get me on Twitter at Luminoir. That's L-U-M-I-N-O-I-R. And with that note, uh, thank you for listening to the special episode of Lasting Podcasts. Bye.